Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 133, recorded August 1st, 2013. So today, we get to go back to the IDW Ongoing series. So this will be our 10th episode, and we're covering issues 20, 21, and 22. Mm-hmm. So, as we talked about last week, we have one more of like the origin stories, kind of a, a flashback uh, before the events of Star Trek, the uh, 2009 movie. And then, which I'm really excited about, is issue 21 and 22 start off a three-parter entitled After Darkness. Yes, which is very cool. So, I, I love this episode because we are getting a three-issue, concentrated, power-packed set of issues uh, with the Reboot Universe, as opposed to watering it down with some gold key thing or something like that. So, <laughs> I am enjoying that we've got a uh, three of them here right. in the new, in the new uh, continuity. And what I really like about what they're doing with the new continuity after the Into Darkness is instead of doing a bunch of two-parters that, you know, after the second issue of the two-parter, basically they hit reset, kind of like in the old old show, and then the next issue will be a completely different story with no real ties. You know, maybe they'll have a, a one-liner or something about something that happened in a previous issue. But in this new After Darkness, they're setting up events that are going to be ongoing. I mean, uh, what they're setting up here in these two issues will not be resolved in the third issue, which is going to then go off into the next three issues or the next, uh, you know, so many issues. So that's exciting. I like, I like longer threaded stories. Me too. But what I'm not, I do not know yet. And maybe you do because you've read something else, but exactly how are these going to tie in with the movies or are they? Well, they're they're because because the... like you say, it's not like they're just redoing an old episode of the original series. They're carrying the storyline forward. Right. Well, actually, well, okay. So I I I need to re, re, uh, pull back from that. I mean, obviously, <laughs> they get a lot of inspiration in issues twenty one and twenty two from an original series episode, but it's right. definitely happening on their five year mission. So right. I'm kind of wondering how it all ties in. Right, and I've seen the covers, right? So, so issues twenty-three is out. I haven't read it yet because I didn't want to, you know, s- spoil anything in this in this episode. But twenty-three is out, which which finishes the After Darkness um, three-parter. Mm-hmm. But then I've seen the covers of twenty-four, twenty-five, and twenty-six, and they definitely tie into some things that happened into in the Into Darkness movie and what's happening in this series. So. Um, Which would make sense. I mean, right. you so, know, with with maybe Klingon stuff going on, who knows? Right. So they uh, may be on their five year mission, but it looks like they're going to be doing a lot of stuff here in the, uh, you know, the the Alpha Quadrant, very close to the Federation, because uh, the Klingons and some other people are not too happy with with uh, the superpowers. Interesting. Okay. 
because uh, definitely I was expecting them to go, if they're on their five-year mission, go off and explore the fringes of the Alpha Quadrant as opposed to what, well, we'll see what they're doing. But <laughs> to your point, they're not like on the borders of things. They're they're dealing with uh, some of the races we know and love. Right. That's what it seems like to me. So, like I said, I haven't, haven't read 23, 24, 25, 26 yet, but that's my speculation. Right. But, of course, also keep in mind, Klingons popped up and Romulans popped up on and off throughout the entire uh, first three seasons, too, even though they were on their five-year mission. So. That is true. Maybe it isn't that unusual. Okay. Cause shall I start with uh, issue number 20? Yeah, let's do it. Why not? So this is number 20 of the Star Trek Ongoing series. Title is Red Level Down. Published date is April 2013. Writer is Ryan Perot. Story consultants are Mike Johnson and Roberto Orki. Artists on pages 1 through 11 is Claudia Balboni. Inker pages 1 through 11, Erica Durante. Artist pages 12 through 22 is Luca Lamberti. Colorist is Ariana Florine. Color supervisor is Claudia SGC. Letterer is Tom B. Long. Editor is Scott Dunbuyer. The regular cover features a drawing of Sulu and Chekhov within a Starfleet swoosh in the center. The seal of the Federation is in the upper background with some kind of um, schematic, technical schematic pattern making up the lower background. Cover, uh, alternate cover A is the black and white sketch version of the regular cover. Um, alternate cover B is the photo of Chekhov on the Enterprise with a serious look on his face. The Federation of Planets was established in 2161. It spans 8,000 light years with 150 member worlds. It was clear from the start that not all the members were created equal. McKenna, the freckled blonde leader of Red Squad, goes on to say that Starfleet Academy is no different. Red Squad is the best of the best at the Academy. She tells Hikaru Sulu that if he wants to join Red Squad, he and other candidates will have to prove themselves worthy of the one remaining slot. Over the next several days, in the run-up to Federation Day celebrations, he and others will be given opportunities to earn the slot. The candidates will not know who each other are. Elsewhere in Mirror Woods, north of San Francisco, Chekhov is running in the lead of a group of Starfleet cadets. He is purposely tripped by an overly competitive female upperclassman named McKenna, who tells Chekhov to speed up or get out of the way. He falls behind the rest, but is helped up by none other than Jim Kirk, who introduces himself and says he has been looking for the Wonder Boy. Elsewhere in a shuttle hangar, Sulu is working with his best friend David, who notices Hikaru is off his game today. Sulu comes clean with David and tells him that McKenna wants him to buzz the Federation Day crowd while she is giving her speech as his final test to get into Red Squad. He knows if anything goes wrong with that, he could come crashing into the crowd and kill a lot of people. David counsels Sulu not to do it. Getting into Red Squad is important, but there are too many things could, that could go wrong. Sulu continues to obsess on his decision. 
Elsewhere in the Academy dorms, Kirk is in Chekhov's room, looking around and getting a feel for the very young and brilliant cadet. Kirk is picking Chekhov's brain about how he can reprogram battle simulation programs, and also finds out that Chekhov is putting together a portable transporter controller. Chekhov admits he is intending to transport a swarm of Belzodian fleas onto the podium when Cadet McKenna gives her speech. Kirk understands and says he heard McKenna was particularly hard on underclassmen. Kirk tells a story about how he got back at a bully far more effectively than he ever expected. In the end, Kirk was ashamed of what he did. He warned Chekhov to think twice before he did something he would be ashamed of later. The door rings, and the lovely Gaia is at the door looking for Kirk. Kirk bids Chekhov a good day, and leaves with the girl for a study period. Chekhov seems just fine with their departure, and getting back to his solitude. Federation Day arrives, and the celebration commencement speech is taking place. McKenna is there and beaming with pride and ego. Chekhov is in the audience trying to make a decision. And overhead, five high-performance shuttles streak towards the proceedings with Sulu at the control of one of the craft. McKenna is at the podium making her Admiral's Award acceptance speech. Sulu's friend David, who is also in one of the shuttles, tells him, that is your cue. Chekhov, with his finger over the transporter control, finally decides not to go through with it. Sulu finally says he will not do the flyby. Unexpectedly, David says, good, because I am. David breaks formation and streaks downward. After Sulu realizes what David is doing, he heads down after him. David's pitch is too steep, and his engines start to stall. He can't pull up all the way. He's able to move away from the crowd slightly as he sideswipes the support beams of an observation tower and damages it. He damages it enough to send it downward. The structure is heading for McKenna, who freezes at the sight of it. Chekhov springs into action and knocks her out of the way just in time. He asks McKenna if that was fast enough for her. Meanwhile, Sulu is attempting to talk his friend David into doing several maneuvers to keep David from crashing. Eventually, he is successful in saving his friend and probably innocent bystanders' lives. Two weeks later, McKenna catches up to Sulu and welcomes him to Red Squad. She says anyone who could execute the moves he did to save Cadet Reed deserves to be in Red Squad. Congratulations. Sulu tells her to kiss off. She tells Sulu that if he wants to make captain, he will need Red Squad. Sulu angrily says she set his best friend against him and almost got him killed. If he needs to be sitting at the helm for ten years before he makes captain, then so be it. Several months later aboard the Enterprise, Sulu asks Chekhov for a status report. Chekhov asks where Helmsman McKenna is. Sulu informs him that he had lungworm. He and his sister Amy have it. Bad luck, huh? Chekhov says, the worst. Chekhov introduces himself to Sulu and they shake hands. I think this is the start of a beautiful relationship.
the end. So doesn't it look funny that that last shot looks like they're already at war? But uh, if this last scene was supposed to happen be- during the 2009 movie, then Sulu still has the parking brake on. And exactly. Pike has not uh, exactly. told him to go. I agree. I agree. Because that's, that's what makes it, it seem like. Because, of course, that's what Sulu said in the 2009 movie. Uh, you know, where's uh, McKenna? And, uh, you know, to Pike, and he says Longworm. So. Right. Good point. Good point. Yeah, I thought that was good. I liked I liked how it, it tied in the McKenna. Although, I don't know why they had to say... I guess he does say he has Longworm, right, in the movie. So I guess that's right. why it has to be a male and not, not this woman. Exactly. And I kind of wonder why they didn't just make him a male. Maybe they wanted to, I don't know, have have Chekhov beaten up by a little girl. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but but then again, also, they're probably... Maybe they're trying to say that uh, the brother McKenna was a little older also. Right. Maybe maybe further along in his career. So he was just stationed on the, uh, on the Enterprise, maybe. All right. Know. It, so, it just seemed like it just seemed like it, the end just seemed a little forced, you know. Uh, McKenna and his sister Amy. Well, it's like okay, <laughs> you know, okay, right. And it ties everything together, but it's kind of like it's a little forced. Yeah, that's that's my problem with it. A lot of it seemed forced. I mean, it seemed odd that both Sulu and Chekhov had the same nemesis. nemesis. Nemesis, yes, that's the word. <laughs> and then I really didn't like Kirk and Chekhov having this friendship or whatever while they were still in school. Because, I mean, it's hard enough to buy that Kirk's friends with Bones and he's friends with Ahura. Yeah, and right. they all just happen to be on the Enterprise. Right, right, and right. And then now you're saying he's also friends with Chekhov, who has a nemesis of McKenna, who's also a friend slash nemesis of Sulu. I mean, it's just like, oh my goodness. That is a lot of coincidences. It is, yeah. At least <laughs> McKenna's name wasn't Finnegan. Yeah. That's right, we haven't seen Finnegan in the new continuity, have we? No. I, I and I, no. Yeah, we, and we should be seeing some Gary. I mean, he was in the very first two issues of the ongoing, and then... right. I mean, if we're doing all these flashbacks of, you know, Academy days, you would think that, uh, you know, Gary would be in a couple of them. You'd think. Oh, whatever. I think we're past all the Academy stuff now, now that we're done with all the origin stories. Right. So, out of all the origin stories, is this the first time Kirk's actually been in one? I think so. He definitely wasn't in McCoy's or O'Hara's. O'Hara's. Or Kinzer's, although <laughs> Kinzer. George Kirk was. Right. Oh, definitely. His father was. There you go. Right. Uh, and then Scotty's. I don't think he was in Scotty's. Hmm. Nope. Yeah, so this is the first time, and I guess it makes sense. They would have, you know, based on the new continuity, they're all in the Academy at the same time. So I guess it makes sense. But I just got to go with it. Just got to go with it. Exactly. So um, I thought this – I thought Sulu's story was a bit reminiscent of Wesley Crusher's uh, 
okay. story at the Academy where he didn't quite live up to uh, expectations in the first duty episode of right. Next Gen. Yes. So it kind of reminded me a little bit of that. Yeah, it was definitely his story. Yeah. So, Which is kind of funny because they're both boy geniuses. I mean, they're both the uh, the, the boy genius of the franchise. So, that, or no, well, actually, no, okay, no, 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 it's Sulu. Not exactly, Sulu, Sulu right, right. Sorry. Not, a, not an issue. Yeah, so, I mean, I, that's fine. That's cool. Um, I just, it just, you know, it just reminded me a lot of Wesley. So you were like, can't you come up with an original story? I didn't say that. I just thought maybe that would be nice, but no, no, that's fine, that's fine. Right. So, no. so in Wesley's case, the I think that was Red. Was that Red yeah. Squad too? Yeah, Red Squad. Okay, so and then this is Red Squad. So it's like, what's the deal with all these whack job elite groups at at the academy? Jeez, can't people be normal? Yeesh. Um, they're the best of the best. I, so McKenna keeps saying, and they know it. And uh, and apparently so did Tom Paris, only when he wasn't Tom Paris. <laughs> right. Duncan, so, whatever his name is. Uh, yeah. I don't remember what his character's name was in that, but basically Tom Paris. Yeah, basically. <laughs> same actor. Same actor. Same well, look, even same the same hair. characteristics, too. Right. Somebody told me, and I don't know if this is true or not, but the reason why he didn't play the same character in Voyager was... Um, something to do with the writer of that one episode would would get royalties if they had an ongoing character from that episode. Wow. And I don't know how accurate that would be. I don't know. But you, you would think that they got everything worked out. I mean, unless unless the writer of that uh, of the first of the first duty was like a really red hot writer like Harlan Ellison or something, and they had some kind of special deal. I mean, wouldn't you think Paramount would have all those uh, rights Absolutely. all locked down? Right. You know. Right. So when Thomas Riker shows up on Enterprise, did whoever write, who wrote, you know, that Next Generation episode have to get royalties? That doesn't make sense. Probably not. So, I, like I said, I don't know if that's true, but I, I was like, well, that's as good an explanation as I have ever come up with, so sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, definitely um, definitely Paris was a bad boy, too. He got right. into trouble. Yeah. But, but but that guy was kicked out of the academy. Was so, he? Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, so they're a little different. But, but Paris was in a penal <laughs> right. something, wasn't he? He was in prison, yeah. right. which is even worse, isn't it? Yeah, because he mm. joined the Maquis or whatever and got caught. Oh, was that what he did? Right. Hmm. Well, why didn't he? Why didn't he and Jacote get Jacote get along together better at the beginning? Then, whatever. It doesn't matter. Different franchise. Anyway. <laughs> but uh, but in regards to Red Squad, um, yeah. pretty soon when we finish the DC comic stuff, which the '90s DC comic stuff, we're going to move into Marvel 1990s uh, issues, and there is actually a um, ongoing series that Marvel did about Red Squad and when Nog was a member. Oh god, Nog too. Jeez. Yeah. Everybody goes to Red Squad. Oh boy. Cuz we only see the best of the best. And of course, they turn into people post on the Enterprise. <laughs> no, Nog stays on Deep Space 9 when he finishes. You oh, know. does he? Sure. Hmm, I don't remember. So, what's the thing about everybody in white t-shirts at the academy? Jeez. 
Uh, that's their workout clothes. Well, okay. So everybody works out a lot. Sure. Because when... Okay, so I... I don't know. It just seems like they're in t-shirt, white t-shirts a lot. Right. It must be comfy. Yeah, I, I do like the uniform that McKenna wears. Mm-hmm. The black with red striping that mm-hmm. it looks like all the um, Red Squad people are wearing. Right. right. I like that. I thought that that looks really sharp. It does look pretty cool. But they are Red Squad. See, so we would have thought they'd like have more red in their outfits. But well, it kind of made me wonder if that's like the graduating class uniform or whatever. Upperclassmen or something. Right. Maybe. Because that's what she wears to her, you know, presentation of the award. Right. So speaking of the award, nice to see Tyler Perry make a little cameo. Oh yeah, his face. You know, page That's 11. right. Uh huh. Yeah. So One so of, is he? A, so he must be a fan or something, because they didn't just cast Tyler Perry for the hell of it. In the I don't 2009 know. movie, so. did they? I mean, because yeah, think, think about how many actors you could have done, you could have gotten to play that role, and you end up with Tyler Perry. Right. He, he must. Have, it must have been like when. Uh, oh. Um, Christian Slater. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Christian Slater. I was. I was thinking Slaughter. Slaughter. No, exactly. Christian Slater pops up in the middle of a, of a Star Trek film, because he's right. a fan. He's a he's fan. There you go. Yep. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never heard that he's a Star Trek fan. Um, so I don't know why he. Was in it? Maybe he's a friend of J.J. Abrams, right? So could be. There's lots of uh, moving parts there. He doesn't necessarily have to be a fan of the franchise. True. But um, anyways, one one time when I went and saw the 2009 movie uh, at the theater, he shows up, and somebody in the theater was like, "Medea." <laughs> only without the dress. Right. So I thought that was funny that that yeah. person felt compelled to say it out loud. <laughs> because everyone might have been thinking it, but come on. All right. And then my last comment for this issue is I don't buy that futuristic engines that don't require air intake would stall. I agree. I think the same thing. I mean, the whole reason jet and jet planes stall is because, you know, the fuel – moves in a, in a way that they can't get you know the right mixture of air and fuel yeah. well and, and prop prop engines are, are also ones that are known for stalling right for the but same, I mean it all has I to guess do... the same reason right yeah so the fuel is uh is fighting gravity or something I don't right. know but if you have a vehicle that works in space where there's no gravity you should not ever have a situation where you come in too steep and your engine stall. I agree with you. And you know these 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 vehicles are not aerodynamic. So the fact that he's saying pull up well, and let the wind get, or you know, he's like basically saying well, you know the the lift, but there's no wings. It's not gonna. Well, there are wings. Little tiny baby ones. I know, but but you will <laughs> notice that the reboot shuttles have wings. Yes, they're small, they're stubby, but they're wings. All right. And I think they're trying to say that there is some aerodynamics to it. But, you know, I'm sure a lot of it is anti-gravity and some kind of uh, thrust coming out of the engines. So you really wouldn't be as depend upon lift on the wings because they are right. pretty stubby. 
I agree. I agree. I agree. So I, I did like, you know, Sulu coming in there, kind of give him a little bump to right. to bring him up. And then he's like, you know, anti-grabs now. Restart your engines. Go. And then it all worked. I like that part. I just didn't buy that installed in the, <laughs> the first place. Yeah. Yep. All right. What else you got, sir? Um, I'd like to comment more on those shuttles oh, because sure. they really are shuttles. So, you know, I thought these guys were supposed to be like the, um, like, like, like the, uh, the blue angels, you know, the, the thunderbirds, you know, whatever, you know, the, these, these guys are supposed to be flying around, you know, really hot little F-16 like, uh, jets or something. And, and what are they flying? Pretty normal looking shuttles. Well, why did you think they were F-16s? I mean, they're just flying in a shuttle for, for in formation, but... Well, okay. I'm pretty sure that when Wesley was doing his thing, too, and I do not remember what the, what the ships look like. I don't even know if they showed what those, uh, those, those craft were that the Red Squadron were using in the first duty. It's been a long time since I've seen that episode. But I was, I was envisioning, like... Jet-like, sleek fighter craft, not the Galileo Seven. <laughs> I think it does show it, right? Because don't they try to do like the starburst and it doesn't quite work? I thought they they do show, or they show a diagram or something. I think it was a. I think it was more like a like a computer readout or something. Right. I don't remember them actually showing like like footage or anything. I don't think they had. I don't think they spent the money. <laughs> But I always, I just assumed that it was a normal, like, you know, Delta Flyer type small shuttle. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be. Well, yeah, even even a Delta Flyer, which looks kind of sleek and cool, that would be, that would be better than what they did, which is a pretty straightforward standard looking shuttle. This one? Sure. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you're, if you're training and you're going to be a pilot of Starship, you would think that they would be flying something very similar to. Starships. Okay, but but these are the best of the best. These are the Thunderbirds. These are the Blue Angels. You know, when they're when they're doing their thing and they're they're performing and things, they don't use some trainer jets. They use the hotness because it's sexy, and uh, that's just what I expected these uh, these Red Squad to be using. Mm. You know. I hear you, but I don't agree with you. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. Because, I mean, you if... Can, if You if, can if be it, wrong if you want to, Donovan. That's okay. Because if it was... If it was the best of the best, and they're getting the sleekest, hottest ships, then, you know, who's paying for those ships? And would a... Who pays for like, anything in Star Trek? A, you know, this is basically a fraternity-type thing. Fraternity? So, I mean, it's it's a secret club that you get invited to and stuff like now, that. So now I I um I I gotta disagree with you. I think this is an actual squad be, that that they have they they do organize themselves at Starfleet, and this is one of the uh, ways that they organize themselves. I mean, right. um, I I think I don't think it's a fraternity. But, but I mean, but if if it's a squad. But, then, you know, they're going to have a commanding officer, and the commanding officer would not be another kid. An upperclassman. Right. A graduating But then they're still going to have to report to somebody. You're going to have a teacher or some sort of faculty Oh, yeah, ultimately. But but why do you think that doesn't mean that if if one of the main things you do in Starfleet is fly at least a portion of the 
the the members of Starfleet. Um, why wouldn't they be uh, flying stunt fighters if you are the best of the best? It's like I I don't know why you wouldn't, but whatever. Right. And we're going to have to eat a little crow here, Ken, because I did just click over to uh, Memory Alpha yeah. about duty, uh, First Duty. And yeah. Wesley was part of Nova Squadron. Ah, Nova Squad. Squad. There you go. Okay, Completely fine. different squadron, Ken. Okay, fine. Well, I did ask, was it Red Squad? And you said, oh, yeah. I thought it was. I was okay, like, fine. So it's Nova. It's Nova, yeah. whatever. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well. But no, I get what you're saying. Uh, I just never thought of it that way, but you might you might be right i guess it just depends on how you want to look at it yeah i just think that I just, if it was i was just disappointing i just disappointed you know five you know five like kind of standard looking shuttles you know you know doing the uh, flyby is like oh my god i mean that's what I, I was expecting the, the 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 jets they had in the flyby in the new movie uh, Ash, uh, uh in the darkness in the darkness good point that's what i was expecting but Whatever. Okay. So, Which those uh, were those like little scorpion type ones that Khan was in, right? When he when he shot up. The, were those? They could have been. I thought they were like a little one man job like that. Could have been. Could have been. But uh, they, they, they definitely they definitely that. wanted to make it look like you know they definitely wanted you to think in the movie ooh you know Air Force Blue Angels whatever. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. All right, what else you got there? Um, Nothing. Let's move on. All right, so issue number 21 has a cover date of May 2013. It is entitled After Darkness, issue one. And it's kind of an adaptation of Amok Time, although it does not say that anywhere on here. But once you get into the story, you'll, you'll know what we're talking about. It is written by Mike Johnson. Story consultant is Roberto Orki. Artist is Airfan Fajar. Colors, Stellar Labs. Letterer, Chris Mowry. And editor is Scott Dunbuyer. So for this one, there's actually one, two, three, four different covers. So for all you cover collectors, uh, good luck finding all these. Uh, the first and the main one is a uh, painting by Tim Bradstreet. Um, starting at the lower left-hand corner, we'll start with a little headshot of Chekhov. And then going counterclockwise, we have Sulu, M- McCoy, Scotty, and Ahura. And then that takes up maybe about two-thirds of the page, or one-third of the page, excuse me. They're, they're all pretty small. The rest of the page consists of a giant Starfleet swoosh like we're used to. And kind of coming out of the swoosh is, uh, you know, chest and head uh, shots of Kirk and Spock. And below them is the Enterprise. Undamaged, fully intact. So the uh, alternate covers, uh, one is just a uh, sketch of that same issue. Or that same cover. The photo cover shows a scene from Into Darkness with Kirk uh, hanging onto the wall as uh, the Enterprise is being pulled into Earth's orbit in the movie. And the last cover is a Hastings exclusive 
So this will be the hardest one to find. And it shows a battered Kirk with a torn tunic. It uh, looks like he's about to have a further a fist fight of some sort with several Klingons in their helmets. So that's the covers. So this story actually takes place, uh, and basically what it says is it takes place shortly after the events in Star Trek Into Darkness. So I'm gonna have we're gonna talk about it later, but I don't know if that means shortly after the movie itself, which is you know after Kirk's speech, after the ship's all completely repaired and they're ready to go off on their five year mission. Or if it means shortly after the crash of the USS Vengeance uh, by Khan and uh, the aftermath of immediately after those events versus a year later once the Enterprise is all fixed up and ready to go. So It's got to be a year later. Well, some of the dialogue later doesn't is, – is, I have a problem with it. If, if it's really a year later, then the, the dialogue is inconsistent and let's just talk about it one – Let's continue. Go. Yeah, because I have a lot to talk about that. Lots. All right. All right. So the story starts off on Quonos. And as we saw in the movie, the destroyed moon of Praxis is there. So on the surface, the Klingon Council is meeting to discuss the recent events on their planet, namely the arrival of Kirk and the destruction of several ships and the death of many great warriors. The only conclusion that the Council can come up with is they must go to war with the Federation. It's only logical. That's what they're going to do. On Earth, Kirk and the former Captain April are having a discussion about how April was able to take over the Enterprise in the miniseries Countdown to Darkness. April tells him that Marcus was the one who created the program and that Marcus was the one that who ensured that the program made its way into all ships after his enterprise. Though, uh, April claims that it was his idea. He also admits that Marcus was his contact with the Federation uh, during his little uh, covert actions there on that planet, and that he did indeed try to start a war with the Klingons, per Marcus's wishes. Though he does say that he was just trying to save the aliens on Fadus and that Mud was never part of the deal. She was just a smuggler, plain and simple, not part of the conspiracy. April tells Kirk that Harrison, a.k.a. Khan, though April never calls him this, was only the tip of the secrets that Marcus was keeping. Kirk tells him that Khan and Marcus are no longer a problem, and then he leaves. And now it says one week later. So the Enterprise is starting its five-year mission. So this would either take place one week after Kirk's resurrection or 52 weeks after his resurrection. So however you want to think about it, uh, it's a week after that. (laughs) All right, so Kirk is recording... The familiar space, the final frontier, mission statement in his logs, as if he's writing it. McCoy interrupts, saying that he does not believe Kirk really wrote that. He says that it sounds more like something Ahura or Chekhov would come up with. So I guess he is not familiar with the Starfleet captain's oath. 
McCoy requests that Kirk keeps him informed of any medical changes since he had just recently come back from the dead. In Spock's quarters, Spock is performing his best Hulk impression and smashing everything in his quarters. Ohora arrives and tries to calm the beast, but she is attacked for her efforts. We find that she is not ill-prepared for this, and she jabs a hypo into his neck, which quickly knocks out the enraged Vulcan. In sickbay, McCoy is at a loss for what's wrong with Spock. Dr. Marcus is there, and she tells him that he did seem to be working alone a lot lately, but she thought that was just his normal M.O. Spock wakes and tells the humans that he is suffering from a condition called Ponfar, and that there's nothing to worry about. It's just it's just normal. He tells them that he thought he might forego the Ponfar since he's half-human, and then he also tells them that the only cure is for him to return home for a ritual mating. Since Vulcan is gone, the next best thing is new Vulcan, and the captain orders the ship to head there post-haste. Later, the Enterprise pops out of warp above the planet that has recently been christened New Vulcan. Kirk orders Scotty to the con, and he, McCoy, Marcus, Ahura, Spock, and an Orion male take a shuttlecraft down to the surface. Once they land, Spock is surprised to be greeted by Sarek. This is the first we've seen Sarek since he tried to destroy Romulus way back in issues 7 and 8. Sarek is not alone. With him is several other Vulcans, including a female who is introduced as T'Pring. Spock introduces this woman to his friends and says that she is his betrothed. This news is quite a shock to Kirk, and especially to Ahura. It seems that you should always inform your current lover if you are already engaged or married. I mean, that's just dating 101 here. I don't know what, what Spock was thinking. So, meanwhile, back on Romulus, the Romulan Council is meeting with some unknown humans that are being kept in shadow. So we, we don't see the, who these people are. The leader of the humans turns out to be a woman who encourages the Romulans to side with the humans in a war against the Klingons. She tells him or she tells them that she speaks for section 31 to be continued. I have a theory who that shadowy woman is. You do cuz I <laughs> don't. I've been trying to figure out who it is. I think it's rather obvious. I think it. I think they 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 think they want me to think that it's obvious, but who? Well, because they're shat. I don't want to ruin anything because I don't know for sure. Well, I guess well, if I don't if I don't know for sure, I can advance a theory. It's all speculation, so no, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Okay, okay. So I was thinking to myself, they purposely have her in shadow. Right. So why would they do that unless we know her? Right. And I'm thinking, say, okay, so what female character? have we been introduced to in the reboot universe that is not actually on the Enterprise already, you know, or we know is, is accounted for. Um, and the only thing I came up to me was mud. So, ah, uh, and, ah, uh, yeah, that totally makes sense. It totally does. Makes sense. Because April didn't appear or he didn't say it. I mean, 
So maybe she was there in the middle of all that without April knowing that she was Section 31 facilitating things, or maybe she, maybe he did know. I don't know, but I think that's just the kind of devious uh, thing that Section 31 would do. You're right. That makes total sense because it, it, when it shows her, it only shows her from the tip of her nose down. It never shows her eye line, so we don't see any ridges at the top of her nose because in this continuity, she's Bajoran. Right. Uh, and we don't ever see her ears, so we don't see any earrings or, or her hair to see if she's blonde. So right. uh, you, might, you might be right, but I do find it hard to believe that she would not be in custody like, like, Pike, or like April is. If but, she's Section Thirty One, she didn't get caught. Well, no, she got caught because she was she and April were well, arrested at the same time. Yeah, but what did April say? April said she knew nothing about things. She was just a facilitator. Right, but so, do you think that they would be like, okay, let her go? I think if she was Section Thirty One, they would have made sure she did get let, let go. But April was April. April was also Section Thirty One, and he's still sitting there. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What? Hold on. Who said he was? Did he say it was Section 31? Uh, no, he didn't. No, he's Starfleet. He's Rogue Starfleet working with uh, Marcus. Right, who, Marcus is Section 31. Do you know that? Don't they say I thought he the was movie? Starfleet. I thought they said that in the movie. Mm, I don't remember that. He's, a, he's an admiral. Why does he have to be Section 31? Now, he could be no, working Khan with Section says, 31. Khan says that Marcus is part of Section 31. And that Section 31's... <sighs> headquarters was there in in the library and marcus confirms this as well okay i i don't remember that but you could be 100 percent right you might have seen the movie one more time than me because i saw it twice how many times for you signs for you uh three there you go one more so <laughs> i i'm not going to say you're wrong on that because you could be very much right but i do think that um that marcus could have made anything happen but he's dead Right. So, you know, he couldn't spring April if he wanted to. And who knows, maybe Section 31 is just leaving April where he's at because they don't need him right now. I don't know. Or right. maybe he's too much in, he's too much in the limelight. Yeah, he's a... I mean, that would be pretty sensational if a, a world-famous captain came back from the dead and was a bad guy. Uh, <laughs> right, where... If they could say, oh, and if and if April himself says, oh, Mud was just a facilitator for a, for a dollar, she wasn't really anything more than that. Then you know the spotlight wouldn't be on her. She could go off, and you know maybe she goes to prison supposedly, and then they take her right out the back door. Right, right. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. No, that totally makes sense. I mean, I was trying to think, you know, she's not green, so she's not you know Gaia or whatever. Oh, right, her name is. right. Right, uh, yep. and then I was like, "Well, is she Christine Chapel? I mean, no. because they do mention her. <laughs> they but mention they, her, but and they mention that she might have like a chip on her shoulder as far as Kirk. So, right. I was like, "Are they going to introduce her that way?" But no, well, you're right. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, but we never saw her. So we never saw her. But and and I guess Yeoman Rand is possible, but we just saw her in like that Galileo Seven book and. I yeah, suppose Yeoman Rand's yeah. possible, but I can't see Yeoman Rand being in Section 31, but who knows? Right. Well, but I can, I can see that Mud character. Oh, I could totally see Mud. I mean, Mud makes complete sense now that you mention it. Yeah. And I, I feel bad that I never once thought of her. <laughs> Even though they talk well, about her in this issue, at the beginning. Yeah. And then at the end, they show her, 
yeah. or whoever this is, and that would be a perfect, you know, book ending for we're introducing the character here so that you don't forget about her, and then ooh, right. that's that would be really good. Kind of in your face a little bit, right? <laughs> well played. That is, if that's the, if that's the case, uh, I did not see it coming. Yeah. All right, good yeah, job. Yeah, so I, I completely agree with you as far as what you were referring to at the beginning, as far as what time period is this really? Yes, because if it is a year later, which mm-hmm. I think it would be because the Enterprise is not in pieces, right? Um, then why is it just now the Klingons are like, ooh, we got to go to war with the Federation because we just exactly. got, we just got uh, you know. Exactly. And then... Yeah, and if, they, and if they're trying to say... Oh, this happened a year ago, the Klingon bit, and right. then the next thing you see where, uh, you know, it's it's Starfleet, mm-hmm. you know, and they're and they're you know he's getting interrogated, April, and they're trying to say that's that's fast forward, and they just didn't say it. Well, okay, maybe that makes sense, but then it takes them a year between the time they say they're going to go to war and then they actually do. Now, nah, doesn't right. make sense. Well, and, and, right. I don't. At least I don't think. But no, you're. Yeah, that's that's exactly the problem I have. And yeah. if this is really supposed to be a year later, which yeah. you know the end of the end of end of darkness is is a year after the vengeance crashed, then McCoy's lines about oh I need to keep an eye on you because we don't know how you coming back from the dead with Khan's exactly. blood is going to affect exactly. you. Exactly. It's been a year, and yep. I think you know how it's going to affect him. You know exactly. It's been a year. <laughs> or you know the other argument is that it's hasn't been a year. He just came back from the dead a week ago, and and if Bing! that's the case, then the, the Enterprise, Enterprise should be a junk heap. Exactly. So that's that's the one thing about this issue that really bothered me. Yeah. That you all you say is one week after Into Darkness. Well, then, then you know, then you're not going to account for the whole year that's that's missing, mm-hmm. and all your dialogue doesn't make sense, right. <laughs> or a lot of it, because Marcus still acts like she doesn't know Spock all that well, you know, because when he's acting weird, she says, "Oh, I just thought that's how he always acted," because mm-hmm. he he's been working, you know, by himself. Right. You've been working with him for a year. You would probably know that this was a little different. Yes, I agree. So, interesting. They're playing it both ways. <laughs> Which I guess the you know just the somebody buying it off the the shelf and reading it for enjoyment purposes may not be bothered by exactly not to know okay. anything like that. But it bothers right. me, darn it, darn it. Okay, enough of that. Let's talk about something really great in the. Uh, I want to talk about two really cool um, bits of artistry. Okay. Number one is um, Carol Marcus is behind on when you first see her in the issue. There at Spock's bed? It's Spock's bed, exactly. It's like, that is a thing of beauty. Wow. Okay. Okay, I just want to say that. And also I thought it was kind of funny to have Martian Manhunter sitting next to uh, Kirk as they're piloting towards New Vulcan. I don't think that's the Martian Manhunter, but I get what you're saying. (laughs) I looked at that. I was like, that's Martian Manhunter. (laughs) Yeah, so he's a green-skinned alien. uh, With the exception of the green skin, he looks uh, human. So I assume he was Orion. Although 
I think that Orions are supposed to be a lot bigger. Yeah. But uh, well, I didn't didn't know of any other green skin alien. So. Yeah. Very possible it's an Orion, but uh, I'm just personally I'm just saying Marsh Manhunter. That or or Mister Clean with uh with weird spin <laughs> skin pigmentation. So why didn't they just use the guy that was in the in the movie that had like the robot thing or the the little electronic port in the back of his head? I mean, for the most part, this guy looks just like him, except you know we don't see the back of his head. Right. I don't know. I don't know. But he was he green? No. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Aside from oh, him being green, okay. he looks just like that guy. Oh, right, right. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yep. Why not? Yeah, so from, from what I remember of Orion's, the men are, like, really big, right? And they have, like, pointed ears, so maybe that's not him. Right. That's not an Orion, but maybe this is the new Orion. And maybe it's the Martian Manhunter. <laughs> the Martian Manhunter would have been able to change his face color. To blend in, with his, uh, he could have. But why? He was gonna, he's just going to be himself. Well, that's not what he really looks like. He really looks like an alien with a big bumpy head and long, long fingers. Well, he's gotten used to looking like a human. <laughs> okay. okay, moving on. <laughs> um, overall, I really liked the issue. I really liked how they, you know, on on page one they show Kronos. Mm-hmm. And then you turn the page, and in the same spot where Kronos was, in the exact same size, in the exact same panel shape, is Earth. So when you're flipping the book, you know you have Kronos, boom, turn the page, Earth. Exact same shot. Yeah. I-, I thought that was a, a cool little artist uh, moment. Yeah. Another bit of artistry, which I think is great, besides Carol Marcus's took us, is uh, when they first come over New Vulcan. Mm-hmm. And they've constructed at least this part of New Vulcan on water. That is water, right? That's uh, water. Let me look. Let me look. Mm. Oh, they actually do Romulus the same way. Um, yeah, it looks like it's kind of city built on water. Yeah, yep. it's a little bit, a little bit like uh, Stargate Atlantis, whatever. But I thought that was very cool because it's like, you know, if you had to start over again. And you have your choice of uninhabited worlds. <laughs> Why go for another desert planet? Go for some place <laughs> with water. That makes so point. much sense. Good. Although I will say that the surrounding area looks like it might be kind of deserty. Right. It's kind of hard to tell. But uh, but they're building actually in water, and that's that's not. I've never seen that in Vulcan because I don't think they got a lot of freestanding water around or right. something. Yeah. Good point. Um... Good point. We, I mean, we see a little bit more in the next issue where it does seem more arid and mm-hmm. desert-like. But yeah, you're right. I didn't even yeah. I didn't even notice the water in this one. Yeah. Good point. Now I know that they talk about New Vulcan in the new movie because mm-hmm. young Spock talks to old Spock there. Yeah. But my first exposure to New Vulcan was in the um, the new Star Trek game, the 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 video game that came out. Uh, that's set in the same continuity as mm-hmm. the J.J. The Abrams movies. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I really like this issue because this issue, more than any other issue and Into Darkness, directly talks about events that happened in, in that game. Cool. 
So you haven't played the game, so I'm just going to point them out to you. Uh, yeah, the Gorn. Right. Well, let me do them in order. Okay. First one, obviously, New Vulcan. The second one, uh, Marcus talks about the Vulcans creating the Helios device. So in the video game, the Vulcans were creating this Helios device to siphon energy off of a sun that they were going to then transfer to New Vulcan to power the, the new planet, right? To kind of give them a boost as far as energy production on a, on a brand new planet. Uh-huh. Uh, doesn't quite go as planned, and um, you know it's a big plot point in the game. But I like that she actually talks about it. And then the third one being the Gorn that uh, Kirk talks about. You know, hopefully this trip to New Vulcan, they won't be reunited with the Gorn, and right. maybe they will not take a trip to a different part of the galaxy or a different <clears throat> galaxy, which happens in in the game. So they cool. they go to New Vulcan. Um, they're being Vulcan is being attacked by these Gorn who want the Helios device. And through some sort of mishap, the Enterprise gets pulled into this other part of the galaxy or another galaxy or another dimension or whatever. And they, they go to the Gorn homeworld. Which, you know, was an interesting plot point for the game. Doesn't quite fit in with what we know about the Gorn, you know, in classic Trek. But hmm. um, I just liked, I loved that he talked about it here. Yeah. Because it makes it feel like it's a, you know, a cohesive universe. Right, across multiple media platforms. Right, which I've talked about before. I love that Star Wars always did that. You know, things that happen in the books are referenced in the comics, and things that happen in the comics are referenced in the video games, and the video games are then referenced in the comics. I mean, it it was all a cohesive universe, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though, you know, vastly different, um, you know, storytelling methods, but... uh, I think that the new this new continuity is is going that way with the mm-hmm. the books. You know, they've had a couple of novels, young adult novels. They don't contradict anything in these books. These books, for the most part, don't get contradicted by the movies. Even though there was one line in the Into Darkness that I didn't like, where Kirk says that he hasn't lost a single person since he's been captain of the Enterprise. Which, mm-hmm. if you played the video game. Lots of people die, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think we've had a, a a book or two where people died. I mean, uh, Gary died, right? So his line doesn't quite hold true that he hasn't lost a yeah. single crew Which, member since he's taken right. command. Yeah, and I do believe in the end, the movie's going to trump everything. I sure. really don't think the movie makers are going to go any further out of the way than they absolutely have to to right. be in continuity with uh, a video game and, I, and and probably a comic book although with Orky so involved with comic books and obviously involved with the movies uh, I think there probably will be better continuity there right I agree but I mean at least they're perfect. making at least they're making, they're making an attempt exactly right. right I mean the the video game has Gorn. They talk about Gorn and Into Darkness with, you know, um, McCoy performing a cesarean on, on six tuplets of Gorn. <laughs> so, I mean, at least they try. I mean, I, I don't, aside from that one line, I didn't really see anything that that contradicted what was in the comics or the video game. Yeah. And that's interesting because my line here was, am I getting early onset Alzheimer's? I don't recall an ongoing comic that had the Gorn in it. <laughs> so I'm thinking, what? Gorn? Wait a minute. Huh? 
Right. So I think I we will need to talk about some of the events that happened in that issue or in that movie um, sometime soon because... The video game? Yeah, because in issue number 24, uh-huh. which hasn't come out yet, but I've seen the cover, and there's Gorn on the cover. So cool. Obviously, what happened in the game is going to factor in to issue 24, which is going to factor into uh, this story arc as well. So yeah. um, I can, I'll, I'll tell you what uh, my speculation on the Gorn's role is going to be after this next, uh, next, next issue. Okay. I don't want yeah. to spoil anything. Yeah, that's that true. And, and it's really too bad more people didn't see the video game. Oh, well. well, it doesn't help that the game <coughs> is not all that good. Yeah. <laughs> There's this one part in the game where you're Spock and you're doing a mind meld on someone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it goes into this, like, tunnel, this light tunnel, and you're supposed to navigate through it. And you think that, okay, well, I'm going to be navigating through his mind, and he's going to be throwing up blocks and stuff where I'm going to have to, you know, somehow get past his defenses so I can get to the information I want. Right? Mm-hmm. That would have been actually been a pretty cool game mechanic. But instead... You can move around, but you're literally just going in a straight line. So it's like two minutes, maybe three minutes of you just going down this like light tunnel, no matter what you do, moving around. Um, basically on rails. Yes, but yeah. nothing's coming at you. Nothing's preventing you from moving, and you still have control, so you can still kind of move your cursor around and kind of change your perspective, but you're not doing anything. Yeah. And it's just boring and there's, Boy, there's that, sounds, quite a, that sounds great <laughs> there's quite a few things like that that I'm like if there was supposed to be like a little mini game type thing in here they never finished it you didn't finish it and then you should have probably cut that whole scene out yeah so or at least or cut it down right right yeah just have it as a uh, you know a, a cut scene have yeah. some dialogue and don't let me control the cursor like I'm supposed to do something here in a second you know right. so yep but we can talk about the game more next next episode. Okay. Maybe I'll even do a synopsis for it or something. Yee! Cool. <laughs> it does sound like at least some of the writing was interesting, if not the actual the, gameplay. The story was actually graphics. really... Yeah, the story was good. Um, yeah. But the, the game mechanics were a little lacking. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was a very pretty comic. We talked a little bit about a good um, good artistry already in a few spots, but I just think it was a very pretty comic. Yeah, I thought it was well drawn. Visually, and the color was very good. Uh, I think some of the uh, the color of some of the command... Some of the panels where they had the uh, command tunics, they weren't consistent always in the sheen and everything, but mm-hmm. some of the panels, the command... Uh, the color of the command gold was really nice. Right. And again... Uh, the, you know the sunlight shining on the water when they were coming down into New Vulcan, the main the main uh, colony. Mm. I thought that was really nice. Um, there were multiple very nice par- parts, and of course I won't go talk about Carol Marcus again, but very nice. <laughs> you really like that scene. That panel made an impression on you. It did. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And you know, if this is a you know this is a, a reimagining of of a mock time, which is really a small part of this issue. Mm-hmm. I like I like Spock going all Hulk, and uh, <laughs> you know, he, he breaks his little harp, which you know we haven't ever seen in the new continuity. So mm-hmm. 
It's kind of cool to see that. What's it called again? Alira? Uh, mm, uh, I don't know. You usually have the names right Lerpa. off the top. Lerpa. Lerpa? Lerpa? Or is, that, or is that a weapon? Or is that the I don't know, something like that. Yeah. So it was nice to see that, even though he just destroys Liar. It. Liar. Vulcan. Liar. I don't know. Yep. And, okay. Uh, and then I liked that, you know, the question that you and I have had since, you know, the first movie did Tapreen get off the planet. We, I think we talked about it and we both kind of assumed she didn't and that they would just never do this story, or at least I did. Yeah. And so I was a little surprised to see her pop up here. Yeah, and I think we both talked about the idea that she could have gotten off. Off right. there. I mean, as much as anybody else, because obviously sure. some people did, or else you wouldn't have a new Vulcan. Uh, it could have been her as well as anybody else, but who knows? Right. But I kind of, I kind of got the feeling that not a lot of people from the planet made it, and that most of the, you know, he says he's an endangered species. So I kind of assume that, you know, most of the Vulcans that still lived were just the ones that were off, off planet at the time. I think. A I mean, lot there was only work. one working ship in orbit when, <clears throat> when. Vulcan blew up, and we saw what was going on in the transporter pad the whole time. Yeah. So, but it was nice to see that her here. She has a, a slightly bigger role in the next issue. Yeah. But I thought she was kind of cute. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, and and she seemed nice at least so far. And and I and I don't think after reading the second one, I don't want to ruin anything, but I I just don't. Th- think she's going to turn out to be as interesting and nasty as uh, as in the original continuity. I could be wrong. Right. Well, we'll find out when we do 23. There you go. Uh, the, the last thing I just want to say is again, I just found it a very interesting twist that um, that Section 31 would be taking it upon themselves to form an alliance <laughs> with the Romulans. So it was like what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> it's like, you know, is there no government? It's like, jeez. Right. Yeah, and I was going to get into this more into the next issue because cause it comes back, but I think, you know, the plot device that they introduce in the next issues is pretty interesting. And yeah. But it makes you wonder, how, how, how off is this continuity from what we're used to? Yeah. We would assume that everything that happened in Enterprise and after Enterprise up until the Kelvin being destroyed should be the same. And if so, then that means there's been the big Romulan Earth war, you know, that, that almost destroyed both planets mm-hmm. uh, at some time after Archer's time. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then if, if that's the case, then I do have a little bit of a problem with them wanting to align with the Romulans instead right. of the Klingons. But. Well, but the Romulans do have a trump card that they'll talk about in the but, next issue that's pretty enticing. Well, but yeah, but okay. But the thing is, at least in this continuity, um, the Klingons are the clear threat, and and that and Marcus is whipping up war now with the Romulans, but the Klingons. And, right, but uh, I don't understand that because I mean the. Romulans were the one that almost destroyed Earth and destroyed Vulcan, you know, well, just a year or so ago. Yeah, but in the early days of the TV series, I mean, it was pretty clear that um, that the Klingons were the Russians. Sure. I mean, they, they were the main baddies. Right. I mean, you brought the Romulans every in every once in a while just to mix things up. Um, but it was really the Klingons that were the uh, the, the primary bad guys. Mm-hmm. 
in the original series. So, right. I think they're just going back to the roots. Although I do agree with what you're saying about that, but it's almost like you had the big war and the Romulans stayed away, you know, and Earth stayed away from each other for the longest period of time. Right. Um, and in that gulf and that void, it was mostly uh, Klingons that we were fighting with. Right. Right. But like I said, we'll we'll find out here in a minute why Section Thirty One might be interested to cut a deal. Yes. Okay, that's all I have to say about this one. Okay. Okay, third comic for this episode is issue number 22. Uh, There's no title, so I called it After Darkness, A Mock Time, Part 2. Published date is June 2013. Writer is Mike Johnson. Story consultant, Roberto Orki. Artist, Arfan Fajar. Colors by Stellar Labs. Letterer is Neil Yukitaki, or Yuitaki. Editor is Scott Dunbuyer. The regular cover shows Spock's head in profile and mostly in shadows in a Starfleet swoosh. The Enterprise is below his head and heading towards the reader. A weird autumn-colored space background on the left transitions to a green-black color on the right. It's very visual, but makes no sense. The alternate cover A is the black and white sketch version of the regular cover. The alternate cover B is a photo of Kirk sitting across from poor Admiral Pike from the Trek Into Darkness movie. Basically, Kirk's Obi-Wan Kenobi. The story opens up on Romulus. Two senators are discussing the wisdom of the human alliance. They talk about the humans turning their weapons onto Romulus after the Klingons are wiped out by their alliance. They say what matters is who will trade their strategic secrets first in this alliance, and who can take advantage of them to their own ends. They look at a single drop of red matter suspended in an electromagnetic field in a device in front of them. Meanwhile, on New Vulcan, Uhura is asking Spock to explain about his betrothed Vulcan cutie. To Pring and he were betrothed to each other when they were children, and they were to join when they reached adulthood. When Spock left for Starfleet, believing he was immune to Ponfar, given his half-human heritage, he absolved to Pring of any obligations to himself. She was free to marry another. That was the end of it, until he started feeling the blood fever, the desire to return home the desire to return to to Pring. Spock collapses with the Plaktau, the blood fever. Natoya and McCoy try to help him, but Sarek tells them they have done all they can in bringing him here. It is up to his father and his people to take it from here. Kirk accepts that for now, but says Spock has a home on the Enterprise also. And for now, he is not in a right state of mind to make any long-term decisions about his future. They will return. Later, back on the ship, McCoy lodges his protests and says he is within his rights as ship's surgeon to beam Spock back up to sickbay where he can treat him. Kirk says being in sickbay has not helped Spock much so far, and he trusts Sarek to help his son. He goes on to say he trusts Spock to return to them eventually. As he and McCoy look at the various Adohura, Later, Kirk is trying to console Uhura, but she tells him to stop. 
She understands and tries to make Kirk understand that she knew this day would come eventually. Spock ran to Starfleet because he felt the pull of Earth, but it's only a matter of time until Vulcan would pull back Spock's Vulcan half. They are interrupted by a call from Vulcan. It's to Pring, and she tells Kirk that the blood fever is incredibly strong with Spock. So strong that before they could start the ceremony to mark their union, Spock broke free and ran off in a berserker rage. They found Sarek and the others unconscious, and Spock's tattered tunic on the ground. Kirk offers assistance to find him and treat the wounded, but Dupring says Spock is no longer in the colony. She is afraid he has joined the Sasaud. Ohura says the Sasaud means vanished. Tupring explains that some Vulcans, when they reached New Vulcan, did not adapt well to the loss of Vulcan or their very different new world that the colony was established on. They reverted to a primal emotional state and ran away from the colony to live apart. Kirk says they will find Spock and bring him back. Tupring warns Kirk that the extremely emotional state of the Sasaud makes them very dangerous. Also, the Ponfar can only be erased by mating or through terrible violence. The scene shifts to a volcanic area of New Vulcan, where Spock finds himself drawn. His thoughts are simplistic. His eyes are glowing red. He is clearly not himself. Meanwhile, Kirk, Uhura, Chekhov, and Sulu beam down in environmental suits and phasers on stun to where the ship's sensors say Spock and the other Sasaud are. It is a volcanic region, and it is hot. Kirk says if they can't talk Spock down, they must be ready for the alternative. Set phasers to heavy stun. As they make their way over the red-hot ground, they are hit by some kind of batarang. The suits are taking most of the impact, but still, those things are painful. Sula reports Tricorder is picking up multiple contacts moving in from all around. Spock advances on them. Ahura tries to tell him that they are there to help. They want to take him home. Spock's intellect is obviously diminished based on what he is saying. He says the word home as a question. Then seven other Sasaud come up behind Spock, and he says matter-of-factly, home is here. Elsewhere on a Klingon ship, the captain is telling his crew and other ships to be ready to leave the system. One of the captain's officers asks him whether they should wait. The new warp drives and weapon systems have not been fully tested. The captain takes his underling by the neck and squeezes. The captain says they have waited too long to show their enemies what they have built. By the time they realize what they have built, it will be too late. The scene shifts to the five-ship battle group, made up of advanced Klingon ships that look as if they're half bird of prey and half the Narada. Indeed, the Klingons have a surprise for their human enemies. To be continued. I loved that ending, that last page. That was great. <laughs> that was like, ho-ho! Ho-ho-ho-ho! ho ho yeah, so maybe, you know, we all we all assumed that, you know, with the Nero miniseries and and what we saw in Star Trek the 2009 movie that 
you know, the the Narada was just been sitting there for, you know, 25 years or how long Kirk was. But, uh, yeah, even though they couldn't control the Narada, it looks like they got enough information out of it those 25 years to make themselves their own ship. Right. So not as powerful as a Narada, certainly, and not a full Narada copy, but they reverse engineered enough that they were able to create a hybrid. Right. Which means that it would have, you know, potentially, you know, it's the whole Borg-Romulan, you know, tech. hybrid right. tech, right? So so now it's Borg-Romulan, future Borg-Romulan, and current-day Klingon tech all merged together. I, I exactly. really and, like that concept. Oh, it's a great concept. And, and not, quite frankly, not that the Klingon part's going to help much, but... Um, but those other aspects of the future Romulan and definitely the Borg tech. But the thing is, you in the end, you don't really know how much they really got right. Right. So Yeah, I'm going to be really mad if the that storyline ends with, oh, they don't know how to use it and their ships blow up. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to make me so mad. Yeah, because right now they look bad. They look, they right. look really bad. Which, which is, is good. Which is kind of puts a new spin on what Marcus was talking about. I mean, these ships weren't created today. These have been in in the works for a long time, and exactly. And in the two thousand nine or in Into Darkness, Marcus said that you know the Klingons had stuff in the works, and that you know they needed to you know bring the war to them as soon as possible. Right. So if Marcus knew that this was coming. And that's why he did what he did in Into Darkness. Then it kind of makes him, you know, does the end justify the means? No, but you kind of see where he was going. Well, he has more justification, right? But it's Which not I'll... like he—it's not like he said any of that. Of course, he didn't have. He didn't think he had to. Right. Right. Well, he did say he, he said a war cards. is coming. War well, is coming, and he, and he knew that it was coming. And... Okay, but 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 if they're on an even footing, that's one thing. Right. And, and, and nobody wants the war. But right. if if the Klingons have these ships, that's not an even footing at all. No, not and not even his little, you know, giant vengeance ship would. I mean, it, it again depends on how powerful these mini Naradas are. Right. But uh, you know, they look pretty vicious, and the Narada was was you know really advanced compared to what tech they're going to have here. So. Oh yeah. yeah. I liked it. I I this last page made me really happy and and kind of excited about where the the rest of the stories are going to go. Right. And it also made me turn 180 degrees where in the last the end of the previous issue I was going, "Good god. This this out of control section 31. There's no rule of law. What are they doing?" And then you see the Klingon ships and it's like, "Oh, Good thing there's a section 31. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And 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 the thing is, uh, if you're right, I mean, you make a very good point. If Marcus knew about this, if section 31 knew about this, I mean, that's completely motivation to build a vengeance. Well, pretty much, even though he was maybe not using it. Well, whatever. He was he's whack job anyway. But still, he's got more of a justification. And then section 31 doing this. Um, this uh, this this deal with the devil makes mm-hmm. more sense too, because absolutely. the Klingons are just too powerful with those ships. Odds are, right? Absolutely. 
So, but you'll notice, I'm pretty sure that Section 31 didn't tell the Romulans <laughs> about the card the uh, Klingons have up their sleeve. You don't think, what, say that again? I'm pretty sure that Section 31 did not tell the Romulans about the card the Klingons have up their sleeve. Oh, no. But Section 31 knows that, you know, all the red matter in this universe is in the Romulans' hands. So I really think that's why the humans are, Section 31, is willing to, you know, work with the Romulans because they know the Romulans have this, you know, this the ability to make a black hole that will, you know. Well, I'm confused. What? Why? How do the Romulans have this ability? Because they have the red matter. Well, hold on. Okay. I'm pretty sure that the the Federation has the red matter. No, that's what was in that uh, the well, sphere. No, I think I think the Federation gave them one drop of it. No, they gave it all to them in issue seven and eight. Remember that storyline where Sarek was going to destroy Romulus? Oh, good point. And at, and the condition was Romulans would allow Sarek and the Vulcans to go back, you know, because they weren't in their right mind. They would forgive the Enterprise from transgressing into Romulan space. And the condition was all red matter would have to be given to the Romulans. So Section 31, Federation, everybody knows that the Romulans now have all the red matter. Uh, I did not remember that. So I which, was thinking, which, which at I, the at the time we read that issue. Now that you remind me, thank you very much. Is like, what the hell were you doing, giving the Romulans the red matter? Oh my god! Right. So I I loved that 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 story arc is being brought back. You know, yeah. Twenty twenty issues later, but right. it, it I like I said, these three issues or or these first two issues after the Into Darkness. Uh, after Into Darkness, I'm really liking. They're setting up stuff that's not going to pay off until much later. Right. Uh, I am digging it, and and uh, I I really hope they do something good with it and not not have these Narada ships blow up and the red matter. Well, what what has to red the, matter? You know, somehow malfunction and oh, everybody's back on even terms again. Well, but but that doesn't that isn't that where you have to get to eventually? I mean, I think having this imbalance of power where the Romulans have red matter and the Klingons have little mini Naradas is like, we can't go on with that situation. That's well, got to change. I think that the Federation has something else up their sleeve. I mean, they still, I mean, Marcus did something for a year with Khan and, and April said, you know, that's just the tip of... Marcus's secrets. So I I think that the Federation has a card they're playing close to the chest that will come up that will be the balance. But, oh, okay, so so what more could they have other than the vengeance? Don't know. Uh, and and it may be some some long range missiles. I mean, w- what could compare with Borg slash Romulan technology from the future? And what could compare with the ability to make many black holes anywhere you want to? Well, I don't know. I, I, uh, even if Khan was involved, I don't buy that uh, a guy from the past and then the current state of technology with the Federation would be able to come up with that big a, a 
balance balancer. Right. I think somehow in this war that's going to come out, they got to use up the red matter, maybe to destroy the the, the Narada ships. I don't know, but they got to get back to a position of a little bit more parity because the. Right. Uh, I well, hear what we'll you're see. saying, but. If they do it right, that's okay. But if they do like the the ships just self destruct because they didn't know how to use it or something, yeah. Know. And I and you know that's a possibility. But I, I think they're gonna even though it might be flawed because they definitely set it up for the idea that it's not been fully tested. Exactly. I think they're still gonna be deadly ships. So looking forward to it. Yes, me too. So, so can I mention the few things in this book that I please. didn't care for? Sure. Shoot. Um, Ponfar giving you evil red eyes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm assuming that there's something else on the planet that's maybe triggering this change, but I don't like the red eye thing. Right. Okay. And uh, walking around on lava, not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't what? care. They're Vulcans. I don't no care. Vulcanism. Vulcans. They can take the heat, baby. He's walking on lava. I mean, yeah, I it's you know little stepping stones of cooled lava, but basically, yeah. it's lava. So. And they got no shoes or anything, no booties, no. nothing, no socks, no socks. And he's bare chested. Everybody's bare chested, which you know I will Blue give them the props for that. Even the women are bare chested. You know, they're not they're not sexist. They're not sexist. Yeah. Everybody's bare chested. Yeah. And. Of course, one of the things, bring, bringing up the bare-chested women, I assume that in your list of things you didn't like, you're going to say what I didn't like. Which is? Has to do with the women, the Balkan women. Okay, what? Not enough screen time? No. Okay, so, <laughs> too much, their hair's too long, number one. Okay, no, no, here's the main point. Um, basically, a lot of your problem is, you need to have sex. You know, I mean, that's one of the releases of the blood, whatever. And it's like, you got Vulcan women right there. I mean, and they don't have clothes on. It's like, <laughs> well, do I it. Did... And then and then everybody go back to normal. It's like, so you guys are just hanging out together with the red eyes and the Hulkism and the, and you know, basically being in heat. And you're hanging out with those gorgeous Vulcan women with no clothes on, and it is not occurring to you to, uh, you know, do what comes naturally? Little birds and bees? Well, I think that there's more to it than that, because if, if that's all you needed, then Spock shouldn't be having this problem, because he and Ahura have had many a scene in bed. So, if that's the only well, release okay. he needed, okay, then, then well, he's... Okay, okay, so... She's human... Maybe he has to be with a Vulcan female. Mm. And, I mean, well, what else was going to go on? I mean, with T'Pring, what else was going to... Oh, a ceremony, celebrating their union. Okay, you're celebrating their union. It's the union. So, and he's a Vulcan guy, and she's a Vulcan girl, and there's Vulcan girls there. in you know, the, the little band of brothers thing. Uh, I don't know. No, I hear what you're saying. Um, I just... Plus, they said that it was something to do after they landed on the planet, and that it maybe it had to do with them not being able to handle losing the planet. Like, it's some sort of... Right. They, they kind of act like it's some sort of grief, you know, emotion, but 
my hunch is that there's going to be some sort of, you know, medical reason, something on the planet's that much different than Vulcan that's well, triggering this. Well, exactly. So there's something on the planet Vulcan, which is Nuclear. not on this planet. R- no, no, one way or I, the other, yeah. One no, way or the well, other, right. I, I think it's more like there's something on the original planet Vulcan, which was blown to bits, that is not on this new place. Because what's the thing? Oh, I need to go, I mean, ever since the original episode, oh, I need to go back to Vulcan. It's like, okay, well, there's no female Vulcans, like maybe, in Starfleet. We know there are. Um, no, I have to go back to Vulcan. And, yeah. well, there that Vulcan isn't there anymore. So I think there might be something missing. But it could go either way, I will admit. Right. Well, I mean, and it's also, I mean, also their upbringing and their um, beliefs are, mm-hmm. you know, a factor, too. Because, I mean, if Romulans don't have Ponfar, or at least they've never talked about it. So yeah, we never heard him talk about it. This no. is something that's unique to Vulcans from <laughs> Vulcan, and they're the only ones that have accepted this, you know, no emotions. Because I always thought that it was like you had all your emotions pent up, and then once only every seven years does it become so much that you can't you can't control it anymore, mm-hmm. and you have to you know be bonded with whoever your 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 bondmate is or whatever, but. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just a sex thing. I don't know. But I always thought that it was more to it. <laughs> right. But, well, so we'll find but, out. And uh, yeah. and in the end, it's a story. And you got to <laughs> up the ante, don't you? You got you to gotta up the ante so now they get red eyes. Yeah, I hate, I hate the red eyes. Glowing red yeah. eyes. I mean, yeah, if, if up, the red eyes was supposed to be like just zombies. symbolic or something, that's one thing. But no, they're actually glowing and... Because they're in shadow, and then you just see these glowing eyes. So, right. I think that's supposed to be a, a, a physical, you not not just an artistic choice. That's supposed to be really there. Right. Exactly. So, and I agree with you that the hair is too long. If they're really standing on lava with all of those little flecks of, you know, sparks and cinders floating around, your hair would be burned off. And that wasn't my point. <laughs> I'm going to say that was your point. Because, <laughs> of course, that's the only thing covering the... Uh... <laughs> okay. Right, yes. They're going uh, mermaid style. Exactly, right. Right, right, right. <laughs> All uh, right. I did like how the guys that had been there a while have beards and longer hair. Not so, I like that. Well, at first I thought only one had a beard, but then I looked closer... And I think all three of them that you can actually see the faces, there's some evidence of a beard. Some like Wolverine mutton chops or something? Something like that, right. Because yeah, that. that was my original point. My original point is the guy in the front who's picking up Kirk's phaser. He's got a beard, but Spock doesn't. But Spock just got there. Okay, that's fine. So what about the other guys? So I started looking at the other guys as like, because I thought they were, you know, bare, bare-faced. And mm-hmm. I looked a little closer, and I can kind of see the outline of beards on them, too. Yeah, just no mustaches, though. Right, which is kind of weird, but whatever. Yeah, yeah they're just going Wolverine style. And that's not a phaser he's picking up. That's the uh, world-famous Vulcan battering. <laughs> I, 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 I do not remember them ever having uh, batterings. Of course, of course. And I'm pretty sure that's Kirk's phaser. No, that's a, one of those batterings. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. I've looked has, at it again. Has a hole in the middle that he's sticking his fingers through. 
Well, you don't know that. Look at his finger. Right. He could have stubby fingers. <laughs> they got burned off. Yeah, they got burned off. His ring finger has been burned off at the knuckle due to the lava, but his feet are okay. Uh, exactly. Well, you'll notice that they're stepping between the little mini lava flows. No, they're stepping. They're on a lava they're, they're, flow. No, no. The lava flows are the glowing yellow red thingy. I thought what they're stepping. Just... What they're stepping on is cooled lava. Right. Right? It could be, but I still thought it was they were on a lava bed, and that that's just little like stepping stones of cool, like lily pads, you know, cooled lava lily pads well, that they're all standing on. Yeah, which and, I and, was really and, stupid. But so you're right, and I think it's more like those are streams of lava. Yeah, maybe going over, but whatever. But, I mean, any way you look at it, that would be a precarious situation to be you in can't with bare get feet. That close to lava without melting. Yeah, I agree. I don't care what what you're wearing, you know. And let's, I, let's, I, and I don't care uh, that you're a Vulcan who's supposed to be from the planet Vulcan that has yeah. a lot of Vulcanism. And, uh, yeah. Yes. So I really liked the beginning of this book and the end of the book. And the rest of it, I was like, I uh, can't buy it. I do like Ohora being all angry. Yes. Because she has every right to be. About her man. That's right. Yeah, so. but but then again, uh, Spock explains. You know, the betrothal ended when I thought I didn't, right. you know, have the same uh, drives. Mm. Exactly. Right. I get it. I get it. And maybe I was a little harsh in my uh, synopsis last issue, but I still think that it probably should have come up. Yeah, probably. But Spock's a very uh, secretive guy. He he keeps to himself. Right, so I'm pretty sure Hor is not going to forgive him just right away. Nor should she. So what do you think about the uh, Klingon outfits? They look like the movie ones, right? No, I don't think so. Not 100%. I mean, the helmets are the same. But, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about on the ship. So the, the captain... trench coat looking thing? Oh, big time trench coat. I mean, he looks like a bell. I mean, he's got a really... I mean, he's on a ship. They probably have environmental systems. But he looks like he's got some kind of a huge, heavy uh, coat on, which he could be, you know, in the rain for a week and it wouldn't get through that coat. It is that big <laughs> and that covering everything. I mean, what, they must have the thermostat set low, I mean, on that Other, ship. Otherwise, they just burn up. They just, they, they, they'd be unco- they get chafed. It's hot. <laughs> I, I liked that look, and I thought that they had some Klingons with trench coats in the in the new movie, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, maybe they did, but um, I think a lot of the ones that were on the planet, Kronos, uh, uh, you know, with the fight with uh, Harrison and everything, you know, they were running around and stuff, and I don't think they had uh, that much, that big in covering an amount of uh, a clothes, but I could be wrong. Right. But uh, I did I, like that it's core again, <clears throat> the uh, the Klingon being Captain Core from the original series. Right. I agree. Right. Even though you can't tell by looking at him. Well, they say it. Those helmets. Well, I know that. But I'm saying looking oh, okay. at him. Right, 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 right. 
I mean, you can't tell one from the other. Well, they do have some slightly different helmets, some of them. But for the most part, they're so covered. It's amazing. Very true. Which is a, a cool look and everything. It's just... Um, yeah. All right, what else you got? Because I'm, I'm out. I'm done also. All right. So now we get to do our favorite part, which is Expanded Universe. Yay! Expanded Universe. So uh, this is April, May, and June of 2013. So all recent stuff. So in April, there was a original series novel called The Folded World by Jeff Ariadne. And, um, you know, most of this new stuff I have not read, so I can't, uh, you know, fake it. But it's based during the uh, first five-year mission, Enterprise, Kirk, all the good stuff. Cool. All right, May, uh, there was a movie that came out, uh, Star Trek in the Darkness. Maybe you've heard of it. I have. And that also came out with a novelization by Alan Dean Foster and a uh, audiobook by uh, Alan Dean Foster and read by Alice Eve. I know of that. Audiobook, that is. Right. I think we played a little bit during our um, Into Darkness special mm-hmm. a few, few weeks back. Mm-hmm. Uh, also in May, there was another original series novel entitled The Shocks of Adversity by William Lesnar. Hmm. Uh, this is another five-year mission one. I don't know why they do so many novelizations based in the original five-year mission when I think that novels based I in know. the new continuity much much more interesting. That's just me though. What? Uh, oh, so uh, I'm sorry, but so the published date of all these is uh, like very recent. Yeah, April and May. Wow. Hmm. Yep. Well, some people just like you know they like the old stuff. They like the old stuff. But when I buy my action figures, I want them to be Pike. I mean, I want them to be. Yeah, the new the new guys. What is his name? Pike. Wait. What is Pine? Chris Pine. 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 Yeah, I had a a a brain meltdown there for a second. Yeah. Yeah, I was just kidding because I read an article where J J Abrams was upset that they were still putting Shatner toys out. Yep. When they should all be Pine. Well, yeah, but yeah, and the reason for that was to avoid confusion, supposedly. Right, so when I'm when I'm wanting to read a novel, I want it to be based in the Pine verse. In the Pine verse, <laughs> as opposed to the Shat verse. As opposed to the Shat verse, right? Uh huh. All right, and then lastly, June, which was just last month, the uh, book that I'm most interested in, Enterprise: Rise of the Federation: A Choice of Futures by Christopher L. Bennett. Interesting. So this is based after the two-part Earth-Romulan War book series they had. And uh, so this is the uh, fallout of that war and them picking up the pieces to create the uh, Federation of Planets. So I have not read the Earth-Romulan War book series, but... I want to so bad. But there's a few other Enterprise books that I need to get through first. So, Right. 
I'm trying to read them in order, but I just don't have time. Too busy reading comic books. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, work and life and other stuff that keeps getting in the way of Little things. what I want to read. Well, you need your priorities, my friend. I know. Put the kids to bed at 6 o'clock at night and read. That's what I need to do. Yeah. They just don't listen. Darn kids. All right. So uh, next week will be episode 134, and we'll be back into the 90s, and we'll be doing the original series 70, 71, and 72. So as I said earlier, uh, that DC comic run of both the original series and Next Generation only lasted until issue 80, so we're getting close to the end. Hmm. Well, all good things do come to an end, to make another Star Trek reference. I've heard that somewhere. Yes, you have. I've heard that. All right, I guess we can uh, go ahead and bid everybody adieu and, and get to reading these books. Excellent. Get to it. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.